Welcome to the Retro Video Store Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Retro Video Store Podcast. I'm your host, Eric. Hi, Eric. And that's my co-host, Neil. I'm Neil, and who is here trying to break his last record? Dave. Three in a row for David. Wow. And I want to say that this is... I enjoyed this. This was good, Eric. Thank you for introducing me to something new that I enjoyed and not something new and shitty. Yeah, we're actually talking about a, kind of a quality film. First one in a while. <laughs> First one in a while. We're going to talk about Enemy Mine from 1985, which uh, I hadn't seen in probably a good 20 years. It's been a long time since I, I saw it, and I actually watched it again and, and enjoyed it. thought the acting was really good. But before we jump into that, let's do what we always do. Neil, what did you watch this week? It's hurtful that you ask that. It's absolutely hurtful because... I spent the last week with my elderly parents. I watched nothing. I spent my whole time solving petty arguments between two irritable old people that can't remember what they ate for breakfast and trying to deal with uh, the legalities of uh, Oklahoma and uh, what happens when said parents pass on. And uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, when my parents were sort of settling into their evening routine, I would just sort of walk out into the desolate wasteland that is Oklahoma and stare at the sky and wonder what I had done wrong for the universe to put me there. You bastard. You want to tell me so how it, you had HBO too? So you, kids? So you, you want to, you want well, to do we're that? we talk about really early in this when we talk about enemy mine, I'll talk about that really early. So get it out of your system yeah, now, prick. Drop that really early <laughs> during this episode. So I don't even want I'm to sorry you didn't get a chance just, to watch I, it. No, 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 no. I don't want to fucking talk to you anymore. Dave, what did you watch? I watched a Tubi original. Um, it, I was scrolling through Tubi and I says Tubi original. And I didn't realize Tubi was making their movies like Netflix and Hulu and all that. But Tubi's doing it. And a movie called Bed Rest. And it's got one of the girls from The Scream, the older sister from Scream in it. Ferreira, the, the actress. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and she plays a, a pregnant lady who who's on bed rest who happens to live in a haunted house. And it was actually okay. I mean, it was entertaining, but typical haunted ghost house um, ending bullshit. But it had its moments. I'm still shocked that you just said it was a Tubi original. No, I'm serious. It's yeah, me too. I'm just trying to think of myself. What is the quality of a Tubi original? But you said it was decent. Yeah, I mean, we could make a movie and get it on Tubi. I've seen some of the movies. On yeah, there. we've got to. Yeah, oh, dude. To, I the last. I think the last sort of looked like made for Tubi movie. Probably wasn't made for Tubi movie. I watched was Clown Nado, and I've watched a lot of kung fu movies. But if you really, if you really want to, you know, feel bad about yourself, you should tune in and watch Clown Nado. <laughs> the other day I was bored and I couldn't find anything to watch, but I decided to just scroll through Tubi and see all the movies they they, they have. That's, uh, it just that it's a good way to pass time. the time. It that is the equivalent. Time. 
Yeah, it's the equivalent of walking around an old video store with a bunch of crap. It, it just kind of gives you that nostalgic flavor of like, man, this looks like shit. I got to watch this. This looks like shit. I got to watch this. <laughs> yeah. And I added two movies onto my DVR because I saw that they were on Tubi, but they happened to be on screen picks too. So I added Creature, which is a 1985 alien knockoff with Klaus Kinski. And without warning, which is a kind of like a pre predator predator movie where an alien is hunting people down and throwing these weird little like discs that look like flesh on them. And then in the, it kills them and turns them to, you know, it's like Martin Landau's in it. And what the hell's the guy's name? Chuck Connors and not Chuck Connors. He's like Chuck Connors. He's another guy. Oh, Jack Palance. Jack oh, Palance Jack is Palance. in it. Yep. Yeah, and David Crusoe when he was really young is in it. So I have those two. I have those two ready and in, in, in to watch this week because I have a couple of days off where you know for my birth, my birthday and stuff. So I'm going to sit around and watch trash and enjoy yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Dude, so I just want to say that yeah, Tubi. I was shocked. I mean, it was good quality. It was a new movie. It came out I think this year or something. And I mean, she obviously said. I mean, she was in Scream, which was a big hit. Mm-hmm. Did a great thing there, and then Tubi calls. And be like, hey, let's just it's like shooting your shot with the hot girl at the bar. That's Tubi swinging in and be like, "Hey, we got this script. Why don't you call?" And then it works out. They're like, "Do you want a Mercedes?" And she's like, "Yeah." <laughs> well, <laughs> why don't you be in this movie for us? Yeah, no, it was actually I was dude the quality, but that's all I'm going to say. What did you watch, Eric? So, well, I'm looking at Tubi's horror category right now, just kind of. Uh, but you know, the terrifier is on there with art, the clown, which I haven't seen yet, but it's, I might see that now since it's on Tubi. the never sleep again, the Elm street leg- legacy documentary. That's far hours long is on Tubi right now. So check that out, David, okay. the devil's rejects slither uh-huh. train to Busan, yep. which is amazing. There's a movie called bunny man massacre. That's <laughs> available. There's just this guy in a bunny suit with a chainsaw. I've seen bunny man. Yeah. And uh, sleepaway camp scream Four, critters, the Human Centipede 3. They actually have some good ones. I have American World from London, Carrie, Children of the Corn, The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, so they're actually Tubi's. stepping up their game. What the hell, Tubi? Yeah, I'm going to buy Maniac stock and Tubi. My bloody Shit, they have a really good selection this month. Class of Newcomb High, which we definitely need to, need to do an episode on. Tubi is the reason why I began an uptick in lottery ticket purchases. Mm-hmm. Because... I need to not have a job. I need to be just wealthy so that if I decide to sit down and watch four hours of garbage, I got nothing to feel guilty about because I got millions of dollars rolling in anyway. Oh, absolutely. Laser blast. Remember that Neil with the guy that has the finds the amulet and then he has the uh, laser gun attached to his arm and the aliens and stuff. That's on Tubi, which is a, uh, ooh, they got Mandy audition. Dang. Tubi is really hitting it up this, uh, this month with actual real good movies. There's a 2B original called Mary Fuck Kill. <laughs> and the F is like F dot dot dot. But 2B yeah. original. <laughs> Another one called Dead Hot with Vanessa Hudgens is a 2B original. Tell, hey, why don't we one reach out Shark to Bait? 2B and see if they'll sponsor this podcast? Yes, I'm going to send it because we, we plug them every week pretty much about <laughs> the kind of movies they have. Yeah. But they're also they're shitty selection of movies that are awesome and yeah this, all- this month is really good so Let's, we're gonna yeah. have to uh, tweet them Instagram them and let them know that we we plug them every week because uh, we enjoy their film selection. But in addition to <laughs> looking through all this crap, I watched uh, Cocaine Bear yesterday. 
and your thoughts good, sir. I thought it was fun and funny, but I just wish there was more bear carnage. That was like, I was waiting for the end to have more like, you know, more people getting ripped up and killed and stuff like that. But there's too much of that family drama at the end with Carrie Russell and the two kids and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I want to see the bear kill more people. Although it delivered on what you wanted. You wanted to see the bear kill people. I just wish there was a little more. So I give it a solid B. Mm-hmm. Just one bear, bear carnage. But it was it was worth watching, especially on on Peacock for uh, for free. So it wasn't it's not that bad. I did, however, watch this retrospective on the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon. So now I've got to watch all three <laughs> three of those movies. So yeah, down the rabbit hole on the creature from the Black Lagoon. Lagoon. I was waiting to hear how you had that on Blu-ray or. Actually, I do have the Universal Monster set on Blu-ray, and it does have the creature from the Black Lagoon. I just don't have the Revenge of the Creature or the Creature Walk Among- Walks Among Us. So <laughs> there is actually um, it caught my eye because now that you say that, it was um, God. I was I was just I was doom scrolling because I couldn't sleep uh, because my parents uh, stay up to like four or five in the morning listening to their televisions at obscene volumes. Um, <laughs> Sean Hannity or um... dude, when they turned on the TV, that was the first thing that was on. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, oh cool. This is, we're having no conversations this whole trip. That's basically what this <laughs> means. Um, so it, it's, um, it said, you know, this is, this could bring back universal monsters or this is what universal monsters need to be. And it's called the last voyage of the Demeter. I think it was, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's like the, part in Bram, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And if you watch the Francis Ford Coppola's version, it's the trip on the boat where they're going from Transylvania to England and Dracula is just picking off all the people on, on the boat. If I remember correctly, that was the part of the, of the story in the, yeah. the premise of the movie. Yeah. And then um, I got to see Renfield next week. Well, probably this weekend. I'll probably go see it this weekend. Yeah. I had a friend who saw it and he said it was really, really good. Yeah. It's getting poo pooed. There's a lot of poo-poo being directed at it. Yeah. It it just looks it looks like full of action and and stupid. And that's kind of right up my alley right now, honestly. Well, and what have we learned? I think the more we watch movies, which we are like 140, 138, 140 episodes now, is that the critics don't get it right most of the time. <laughs> like 99%. Yeah. And so if you just want to go that Renfield looks like it's fun, it looks really bloody. And that's what you and it's got Nicolas Cage acting bizarre. So, you know, it's that's a win. what you need. Exactly. That's a win. It's a win. <laughs> have you seen the advertisements for that, David? I have. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I'm going to pass on Renfield for a bit because I'm, I'm waiting to go watch the new uh, Evil Dead movie next week. Yes, that comes out on Friday. I'm really excited to see that. I definitely think uh, Andrew and I will go see it this weekend. Evil Dead yeah, Rise. That, that might have to be something that I will have to wait on because I don't see – talking my wife or my kid into going to see, maybe I could get my kid into seeing it, but I don't think that's something I could talk the missus into. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have quite the fondness of evil dead or evil dead Two that uh, the three of us share. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when it comes to enemy mine, our movie for the week, it really kind of made me think a lot about the video store and kind of like the premise of the podcast is, you know, the retro video store. And I remember either watching this on HBO, but I also remember renting it 
Here, there we go. There's my HBO reference. Uh, yes, get it out of the way now. <laughs> I, I think I rented this first, but then it came on HBO and I recorded it. And we used to watch the crap out of this movie. So this is like the, it's an underseen movie in my opinion. I don't know how many people, it used to be on cable a lot. So maybe we're, maybe we're not giving it the credit it deserves, but I don't really hear it talked about that much, but this movie was a lot of fun and watching it again. I really enjoyed it. And I actually, you know, it was kind of emotional, you know, because the the acting elevates the movie, you know, Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. really make you, they really sell it. And Dennis Quaid is an asshole at the beginning of the movie. And then at the end, he, you know, he kind of turns it around. So that kind of uh, makes the movie better. This, this whole movie reminds me of why I don't like to drink milk. (laughs) Why is that? Because then I sound like then I sound like the Dracula, like <laughs> can't do it, man. I get I get gummy. It just starts running back there. Everything feels like, yeah, can't do it. <laughs> David, when did you first see this movie? Um, well, I definitely think I, I probably watched it on cable at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember. Like I said, it, it looked really familiar, but I guess. Probably today is really the time that I sat down and watched it. I mean, mm-hmm. it looks familiar, man. So it's hard to say. But and, and there were parts that I remembered, so I know I've seen bits and pieces. But from beginning to end today, yeah. You want to, you want to hit us with the uh, internet internet movie database tagline? I can't speak today. You know what? I I'm not really sure if I do. No, speaking of speaking of being gummed up, man, when I. Allergies started kicking my ass as soon as I got off the plane back in California. No, I, I'm not sure if I want to because I was reading it and it's got a it it kind of has a whole different vibe to it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this as the as I hear it in my head. Mm-hmm. During a long space war, the lives of two wounded enemies become dependent on their ability to forgive and to trust. <laughs> Makes it sound like a forbidden romance novel or something. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> he's all Wait, he Jerry, sh- Jerry, show me your cloaca. <laughs> he watched him come. He watched him come out of that, uh, out of that water buck naked with that, t- that tail hanging down, swinging back and forth with that weird little shimmy. He did out of the water. He was like, damn, I know he's my enemy but I've got a boner right now. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, the voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> we were sworn enemies, but not that night in the tent. Well, we're making this dirty and it's not this a dirty is, movie. <laughs> this is, this is going to be like the most awkward, like fan fiction ever. Yeah. What else happening you, right now? Tubi is, maybe, maybe the more fucked up we make it Tubi will be like, these guys are awesome. <laughs> I can't quit you, David. <laughs> <laughs> Your face not so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> this movie is way, I mean, it's way better than it has any right to be. And just because the premise is, is, is kind of silly, but there are other movies that are like this. I know. I think there was a, a movie called hell in the Pacific that had um, Tashira Mufuni and what was the other name of the other actor? They were stuck on an island and there was a, it was basically the same premise where, you know, two people are on the, on the, um, let me see, Lee Marvin 
and Toshiro Mifune were in this movie called uh, Hell in the Pacific, and it's uh, two stranded people, uh, World War II soldiers on an island. So that's kind of like where the, the premise was. And But there was also a novella of the same name that was came out and was published in Isaac Asimov's um, science fiction magazine, written by Barry B. Longyear. And this premise is been done quite a few times, especially in Star Trek. I mean, this is a, you know, a common kind of a episode archetype in the, in, in Star Trek. Darmok and Jalad. At Tanagra. <laughs> or even uh, the one with Kirk and the Gorn arena is a little bit, a little bit like this, except, you know, at the end, after he almost kills the Gorn, he realizes oh that, you know, he may have done something wrong. I do such a great Gorn impression that I, I myself am even stunned. All right. Yes. <laughs> How's that? It's pretty good, isn't it? It was pretty good. <laughs> Captain Kirk. <laughs> Captain Kirk. Show yourself and I will be merciful and quick. <laughs> it, I'll be merciful and quick. That's like broke back Star Trek. That goes back to their ability to forgive and to trust. That was a that was a very memorable episode as a kid because my grandfather and my dad were huge Trek Trekkies, so we watched a lot of Star Trek uh, reruns on the LA channel, like KTLA, I think it was that we would get on your very very basic basic cable, and Star Trek was on every night. And I used to sit. My dad would used to let us stay up later, even on a school night, just to watch Star Trek. And when Arena came on, or uh, a muck time or the one where um, the one where Spock is like um, mating or he gets, you know, he's in heat basically. Oh, his, he gets his pawn far. Yeah. The pawn far. And he has to fight <laughs> Kirk, you know, because he for the love of whatever the girl or whatever. And it's that. Dun, 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 Every seven years, like how in the hell do Vulcan women survive that? That's yeah. Really, <laughs> they have to practice or get to get ready. There's this. Uh, in, there's this picture. I'm going to try to find it and post it, and I'll post it on Instagram too. Um, of Kirk, <laughs> Captain Kirk, holding this rock, and I don't know if you've seen it before, Neil. <laughs> this is a space rock and it looks remarkably like a dildo. Like a dildo. <laughs> have you ever seen that picture? I have. Okay. I'll post it here. Hold on. Um, but let's keep going. going with the uh, enemy mind. This premise is, is pretty, pretty tried and true in the um, science fiction realm. You know, it was uh, Wolfgang Peterson directed the movie, but he wasn't the original director, a director named Richard Longcrane was hired, but he got fired after three weeks of shooting because the movie looked cheap, according to the producers and the makeup was bad for Lewis Gossett jr. And they shot it on location where they couldn't match the seasons later on to go to reshoots reshoots. So they were pretty much, uh, you know, stuck. But what they did is hired Wolfgang Peterson, who was in the middle of directing one of David's favorite movies, the never ending story. And then after he was done with the never ending story, he decided to move to enemy mine. So just directing one hit after the other. Yeah. Yeah. That was some pretty, pretty impressive, <laughs> um, 
movies two in a row. Well, he did well three in a row because he did, did Das Boot. Then he did this um, Never Ending Story and this movie. So that's pretty impressive. It's a nice run. It's compelling podcasting right I know. now. Sorry, we're going to edit all this out. I'm just trying to find the <laughs> find the, uh, the picture. Compelling. <laughs> compelling and rich. This is just more work for me to edit all this out. Wolfgang Peterson had a pretty good career. He died uh, in August of 2022 at 81 years old. But he did um, Das Boot, The Never Ending Story, Enemy Mine, this movie called Shattered with Sharon Stone and Tom Berenger, which I've never seen. He did In the Line of Fire, which was a big hit for him. Clint Eastwood and John Malkovich. That was a pretty good movie. Then he did Outbreak, which is a huge movie that became all the more relevant in the, <laughs> in the last three years. That's one of those movies that you watch mm-hmm. just to scare yourself. We did that. We did like a double feature of scaring ourselves during the pandemic where we watch Contagion, which is real fucking scary. If you watch it now, that movie is scary as hell based on what, what, what we know. And then we did Outbreak, which was kind of like the B movie version of it, where it was still scary, but not near as realistic as, or scary as Contagion. Did Air Force One, The Perfect Storm, Troy, and Poseidon, which is a remake of the Poseidon Adventure. Then in 2016, he did a remake of one of the first movies he ever did, which is written in German. So I don't want to say it because I know I will totally not get it correct. So, but he had a pretty good career, made some memorable movies across a bunch of different genres. So good, big ups to Wolfgang Peterson. Yeah. Oh, there we go. There's the picture. Neil's faster than I, <laughs> than I am, more, more capable of multitasking than I right now. Did you see it, David? I'll post it on Instagram. Where is it? It's right under the budget. It's not showing up on mine. Scroll all the way to the top. At the top, right above the cast. Oh, oh, sweet Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Famous Kirk picture. Man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Just Google image search. Kirk rock dildo. And then you, that's easy easy to find. That's oddly enough what I did. (laughs) And there it was. So the movie had a $18 million budget originally, but since they had to stop production of the movie and change directors, they had to pay like a holding fee to keep uh, Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett jr. Paid to wait until uh, Peterson was done with that movie. So, after all of everything, the the new director and new sets that were pretty awesome sets, good Mac paintings by ILM and some stuff. So they, uh, the, it was a $40 million budget and it only made $12 million at the box office. So it was a pretty big bomb at the box office. But like we were talking about earlier, though, this really had a second life when it came to uh, VHS and cable. I remember seeing this on sci-fi and TBS, like, all the time. And it's one of those movies that you could just turn on and just jump into and enjoy whatever part you're watching. And then, uh, you know, maybe tune out or watch it, <laughs> watch it till the end. Every time uh, we'll let's talk about the cast. Dennis Quaid is Willis. Will Davidge or Dawich. Louis Gossett Jr. Is Jerry. Jeriba. <laughs> Shigan. And Breon James. She gone. Uh, Jeriba, she gone. 
<laughs> you really add the spice to this podcast, Neil, with your <laughs> with your <laughs> with your uh, impressions. And Brian James as Stubbs, the scavenger leader, but I never thought of him as the scavenger leader. No, he's not. <laughs> Time to die. <laughs> when you're so when you're so good in that one role, you're just you're just cursed that every time somebody sees you, it's like uh Jack Black. I don't care what I see Jack Black in, it's always just Jack Black being a Jack Blackie. He's mm-hmm. just he's got Jack Blackiness to him. Like no matter what you see, like um one of my favorite comedies of all time, Nacho Libre. Oh yeah. Look at yeah. that. And and it's not like I'm believing the character or getting caught up in the comedy. I'm like, yeah, look how dumb Jack Black is acting right there. That's pretty funny. <laughs> look at that. Look in Mars Attacks, there's young Jack Black acting like he's going to join the army. What a goofball. Remember Jack Black was in I Know What You Did Last Summer, or I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, the sequel. And he plays this weird, like annoying Jamaican kind of guy or guy, faux Jamaican guy. And he's just super annoying. And this is before you know, you know, what you come to expect out of Jack Black. He's just like, who the hell is this guy? It was bad. He was in And he was in The NeverEnding Story, too, I think, as a bully. If I remember my uh, details of that. But Brian James, the scavenger leader, will forever be known as Leon, one of the replicants in Blade Runner. Every time you see him, time to die. Time to die. <laughs> Just they- bitching around little zombies, man, holding him over. <laughs> you know, like, you, 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 keep treating, you keep treating zombies like that. He's never going to get four or five. I'm so <laughs> sorry. There, there's really not much critical response for the movie. There's just a few. If you would uh, bless us with that, Neil. Gesundheit. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. Enemy Mine has an approval rating of 63% based on 24 critics. That's an average rating of 5.8 out of 10. On Metacritic, it has a score of 59% based on reviews from nine critics indicating mixed or average. Roger Ebert gave the film 2.5 out of 4 stars, saying it made no compromises in its art direction, its special effects, and its performances and then compromised everything else in sight. Janet Maslin of the New York Times referred to it as this. Oh, yeah, Janet. As this season's Dune, referring to the critically panned science fiction epic from the previous year. Variety Magazine called it an anthropomorphic view of life, but touching nonetheless. 17 years later, another New York Times reviewer gave the film a more positive assessment, noting that if it were... Taken in the intended spirit, it's often moving, suggesting what might happen if two of Earth's perpetually warring peoples were stranded together. The Los Angeles Times praised the film, calling it surprisingly coherent, surprisingly enjoyable. The film received similar praise from critics Gary Franklin, Gene Siskel, and Leonard Maltin. All right. I would. I wanted to watch the Siskel and Ebert review of it, but I didn't get a chance. I did see that it was available on YouTube. But I knew if I started watching the reviews that I would spend the next three hours watching the reviews and not get anything done. <laughs> if I love watching old Siskel and Ebert reviews on YouTube, it's just it's so fun <laughs> to see how wrong they were, but also how correct they were in certain in certain movies. So there was a, there's this one that if you look up and it's all about Roger Ebert's movie room and he has just just I mean, hundreds and hundreds 
the video cassettes, but then he gets into laser discs and he's got like this really nice, fancy double dual laser discs where you can put both of them in. So you don't have to flip them over and stuff. So it's like super fancy. And the TV he had was 48 inches. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. It's kind of funny how affordable things are now compared to then, but I'm sure that setup that he had was cost a pretty penny. Uh, Neil made a, a comment in, in when we were texting about how he liked the design of the spaceships and stuff. They were kind of a throwback to kind of the 50s style like spaceships and stuff. Well, even even farther back, they reminded me of this stuff. They reminded me of the old Buck Rogers, you know, where the, the rockets are going across. Because, <clears throat> sorry, when I was a kid, actually, and going back to visit my grandparents in Oklahoma, um, there was a theater that would only show like the old serials and old westerns. And it would show a lot of these old Flash Gordon with like the rocket ships and they make this like weird humming noise as they're like, and you see sparks falling down Mm -hmm. and smoke going up and like Flash Gordon's jumping back and forth. And it's, they make no effort to hide that it's a model. Yeah. And I enjoyed the hell out of that. Um, But that also leads me to one of my biggest gripes about the movie as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, no, trust me, I'll, I'll bitch about that when the time comes. Let's go, boys. <laughs> okay. Well, this is another movie that I, I, when I watched it, I, I just really appreciated the lost art of matte paintings. And I mean, I, I'm sure they still use them in, in movies now, but back in the 80s, like with your Return of the Jedi's Empire Strikes Back and, you know, like Alien and all those other movies, matte paintings were so well done and integrated into the movie that sometimes they look so good that you didn't, you were, you were fooled, especially like in empire strikes back where they, they have that matte painting of all the stormtroopers in formation and it splints so good with the actual live action that it just, it's almost flawless. And ILM did the matte paintings and the space scenes in, in the movie. And I, I thought they were really well done. And of course, you know, at the beginning of the movie, Earth is at peace. And this is the utopian dream of all science fiction is that in order to colonize or to explore space, everybody on Earth puts aside their differences and decides to explore space. That's the Star Trek, you know, um, kind of creed as well. But I guess when you really think about it, and this is kind of brought up in the movie, they're actually still colonizing. It just happens to be (laughs) other planets. I love the reference that they're a a race of non-human aliens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which would kind of make them an alien to us yeah. being non-human. Hmm. And we need yeah. them more than a more, you know, drop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> <Little> star. <laughs> of course, you know, they, uh, at the beginning you see are the human ships versus the, uh, Drax ships. And you see how cold blooded the uh, that the, our hero is shooting him down, and when they have the the audacity to shoot down a human ship, how they how they feel about it, you know, they're just totally pissed off, and they're treating the other people like you know like inhuman, even though they're you know technically inhuman, they just have no no sympathy for them at all. So this was this was one of the things I enjoyed about the movie because. <clears throat> I know we've irritated people in the past, at least from the reviews where we found out we were buffoons because of us actually talking about like the politics in it. But there is no subtle undertone about the message of this movie, mm-hmm. especially when the way they they reference the, you know, they reference them. It's like 
they're they're are they're claiming squatters' rights. Uh, it reminded me of of the headlines whenever um, Katrina came in, and it got everything got flooded, and they had a picture of two black people like they're looting. And then there was a picture of two white people. I'm like, they're scavenging to try to find food to survive. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, and there was no, I mean, the, the undertone here is, is so out there and in your face. Like, you know, look, you're, you're all, you're all doing the same thing. You're fighting about it. You're not understanding the other side. Um, You actually have more in common than you think. And I thought it, I don't know if it was intentional to to cast uh, a black guy to be the alien and to have the to to have his antagonist to be you know a uh, what a probably 30 something year old white dude. Mm-hmm. So you know I, if they did that kudos to them that was very well done not not very not very subtle. That was one of the mm-hmm. reasons my dad did not like this movie now that he's fresh in my mind from my trip back from Oklahoma. <laughs> um what kind of woke bullshit is this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but even like that first little bit. So I'm just going to say it now because we're going to talk about the science fiction of it. But as far as like the the statement of the film, you know, it's a lot like, um, uh, oh, my God. Um, dude, Roddy Roddy Piper. The name of the movie is just they live. Old. They Yeah, it's like they live. You know, <laughs> that that message was not cleverly hidden. It was right out in your face. But, you know, most people watched it and they were like, that's a good science fiction film, boys. I, I like how they whoop them aliens ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably had the same thing with this. It's It's not it's not subtle. And it went out there and then enough people liked it and enjoyed it, but nobody got the irony of, of any of it. Okay. Now for the big gripe, what the, what the hell protocols are they given? What kind of training do these pilots <laughs> receive? Oh yes. Yeah. You were talking about the sloppy protocol of flying. The, the sloppy, the- okay. Cause I've, I know a couple guys that were naval aviators and they're always talking about like, you know, they got this protocol and this protocol, and what you got to do in this situation, what you do in this situation. And he's even got the voice of reason, like, dude, we're going to get stuck in this planet's gravity. This is stupid. We shouldn't be doing this. And he's like, nope, nope, mm-mm. I'm going to shoot this guy. And I, you know, I, I get that we're building, like, this is what her character, this is what his character is. But, but Jesus, like, how easy is it to be a freaking space pilot that you don't know anything <laughs> about astrophysics or, or, or how to engage in the gravity of a planet? Or, you know what? Alien ship starts to go towards the planet, and get caught in the gravity. You let that go. Mm-hmm. You go back and help all the other guys that are fighting, you know, twice as many alien ships as than what we had. So he was you blinded go, because he had the, you know, he killed another of the, the human pilots or whatever. But yeah, I agree with you that how do they, how did this happen? You know, but I think it has to happen to get to get them on the planet. But yeah, what the hell were they thinking? Or he was he thinking in that, in that part. It's a good thing that the planet had breathable air though. You know, just, it was nice. Breathable air, drinkable water. It had wildlife that you could eat that wouldn't give you any kind of problem because man, he popped that helmet off quick. (laughs) I like the space bug turtle things that they were, you know, they would hunt to eat. It reminded me of Starship Troopers. Speaking of a movie that who the subtext is out there in Starship Troopers, but most people didn't really see it. But how, you know, the, the, ba- the humans in Starship Troopers are the colonizers. They're the bad guys. They're the people throwing, you know, going and, and going to these planets and invading with the bugs that already, <laughs> already lived and stuff. That is the, the 
the premise or the you know the that's what's underneath Starship Troopers, but people people miss that and all the uh, allusions to the triumph of the will and all the Nazi uniforms <laughs> they're wearing and stuff that you know, are. Well, and you know, it 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 varies from the book just a little bit, but even the book straight up that's you didn't have to guess what that was about. But that tends to be I think this is the great thing about about science fiction is that you can address an issue like this and hit an audience that normally if you tried to make a film and make it more con- like about, you know, contemporary, like here's a couple people in Milwaukee, what they're dealing with. It might not hit as great an audience. Yeah. But science fiction is a great way to do this. Like Ender's Game. I have never read, to be honest, to be honest with you, I've never read Ender's Game. You never read Ender's Game? No. Mm-mm. Ender's Game is really good. Um, you know, it's ob- it's a little obvious the guy's thoughts on religion because there's like three three books. The second one is called Speaker for the Dead. And like my son and I listen to a lot of books because we've got a bit of a commute. And so we listen to Ender's Game and we listen to Speaker of the Dead, um, Speaker for the Dead. Um, but his whole thoughts on like war, the fact, again, like you were talking about like the the, the bugs in this one, again, the, the, the formics had already gone out and had already colonized and they, they attack earth because they were going to colonize it. And then when earth, you know, defeated them and beat them back, they're like, okay, well, we're not going to colonize here, but then we get pissed off. Cause like, Hey, they got all the good planets. You know what we could do? We could, we could, we could round up the formics and we could enslave some. And the ones we can't enslave, we could round them up onto smaller planets that don't have as many resources. And we could just kind of put them there and just sort of treat it as a preserve, like reserve it for them. Concentrate a bunch of people in concentrate them in the air, <laughs> like a reservation kind of situation. Like camp. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> oh, and that's man. true. I mean, that, that we are he, such buffoons. We are triggering so many more people right now. Well, it's like just watching Star Trek. There were so many things that went on in Star Trek that that Gene Roddenberry wanted to to put out there that was subtext. You know, it was the one with the guy is half face. It was half black and half half white. That that episode was you know pretty obvious what was going on. And then the first interracial kiss between Uhura and, and Kirk, even though it wasn't really voluntary, they were being forced to, but it's still stuff that was edgy and pushed people's um, beliefs back in the, back in the day. So yeah, science fiction is a great vehicle for, for making you think about things or, or putting a lot of subtext into the movie. Okay. I'm saying Uhura, Uhura back in the day wouldn't have had to been forced. Yeah. Eartha Kid, Ahura, those were some, you know, those were some ladies. <laughs> Sade, no, never mind. I don't, I don't want to get shot. <laughs> you mentioned Sade. Look at you, the way you work that in, like you're some kind of smooth operator. See what I did? That was a music reference. Thank you. That was a little music reference yeah, in there as well. Yeah. All right, cool. Thank you. So the visuals are really cool, and the way they set everything up, they both crash. And they're, you know, he, our human hero is spying on Drac and you see kind of how strange he is that know. he's staring at him naked. Yeah. He's staring he's at him going, naked. He's weird naked. Out of the- <laughs> watch him shivvy, watch his little tail wiggle around seductively. Mm-hmm. Our boy is a pervert. And he sets the pond on fire and tries to, <laughs> tries to kill him, but uh, unsuccessfully. And I really like the makeup effects on Lou Gossett Jr. as Jerry with the little bladders on the side of his head that are moving, you know, in the full body costume. I took, I think it took four hours to put on, put it on him and stuff. So I, I thought that was really, 
really well done. And the language they came up with was really cool. And I always wanted to eat one of those green jello eggs, you know, the little things, (laughs) the little things that Louis Gossett Jr. was like, what do those taste like? It looks kind of cool. And not eat one of the worm things that he gave, (laughs) gave (laughs) Davich. He bites it anyway. Yeah. That was pretty gross. That's just proof. He had to be, he had to be more intelligent than that. That just proves he went to college. That just looks like some weird, you know, thing like, Oh, I'm trying to go, trying to go Greek. And then uh, they get like, Hey, you want to be a part of it? You got to eat this. And then he just swallowed that thing down. (laughs) It was gross. And, and, And of course the, the whole central part of the second act is them getting to know, to know each other. And, you know, learning to trust each other, saving each other's asses a couple of times. Like when um, he's trying to, when the David falls into the pit and you see the Sarlacc, the mini Sarlacc, the low budget Sarlacc, try to, to pull him in. The that intergalactic ant lion. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, exactly. That's what I thought of too. Is an intergalactic ant lion. He saves him. And this is again, of course, 80s practical effects were, were just the best. David, your thoughts? You've been a little quiet. Well, I thought um, you keep going back to it, but I really thought this movie looked good. I think that was one of the things that stood out to me was for 1985, I was impressed. The the, the movie looked good and even the the cinematography, and I kind of liked the noir style and some of the shots. I don't know if you guys noticed that at all. but Yeah, I like, well, there was a direct uh, homage to Apocalypse Now when Jerry's head is coming out of the water. Mm-hmm. You know, he's slowly coming out of the water. It looks like, you know, the Martin Sheen character coming out of the water in, a, in Apocalypse Apocalypse Now. And that's what, when a set is done really well, you believe it. And the sets in this movie are are done really well. And you, you kind of, it, it gives you that you don't think it's a set. You believe that it's, you know, an actual place. And that's a credit to the guy's like we talk about in, in the dark crystal and labyrinth and all that kind of stuff. People are out there working and making these gigantic sets to look, to look so believable. And it's just that craftsmanship instead of people standing in front of a green screen and everything gets put in, you know, CGI later. So that tactile, that realness of the, of the sets make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I honestly, like the way the sets look great. And I thought that, like I said, the cinematography, um, I think it was like towards the end when he puts on the, like the trench coat and the hat, just, yeah. made me, you know, he looked like a detective to me, like a noir style and the way that the, I don't know, the smoke was coming out and, and then the shot where they were all coming out of the hole in the ground really slow. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? Yeah. I thought it was yeah. cool. And I, I like, uh, it, the funny thing is that that last part in the mine wasn't in the original story, but the producers thought, well, we need to have a mine because it says enemy mine and people are not going to really get it unless we have, <laughs> have a mine. So they added the mine part of it to be literal enemy mine because all the enemies are <laughs> in a mine instead of, you know, figure figurative. Yeah. So that was kind of funny. There, okay. After hearing you say that and the logic of the producers, there is absolutely no fault but our own that we are all not absolutely rich making films i know it's all about who you know (laughs) 
I guess the problem here is I don't know anybody. I know yeah, you that's guys. exactly the same here. Yeah. Dave, it's up to you now. You got to go save some producer's home from a fire. And when he's out there thanking you guys, like, hey, look, me and my buddies got some ideas for movies. Here's the podcast. Exactly. Just We've got like this one about have, an Ausfit slasher movie. <laughs> just be like, I happen to have a script and start digging in my work truck for just a bunch of, <laughs> you know, words written on paper that make no sense. <laughs> He's like, thanks. Nobody has ever handed me a script before in my life. Yeah, I got this idea, man. I'd really like to talk to you about it. <laughs> Just need a million I do dollars. like the part where they kind of get sick of each other. But first, Davidge converts to space Judaism with the Talmud and everything, <laughs> everything like that. He, he decides to, uh, you know, convert and learn everything about uh, about Jerry's uh, people and his language and stuff like that. And I thought that was kind of cool because initially. Jerry's learning English, but then the guy's like, okay, well teach me, teach me what you know too. So it's not just like a one way learn the, learn the culture of the white man time, time movie. It was uh, a little more than that. Why are you showing me the, the Grinch? Because I was sitting there looking at David and I realized like, I just, just hit me what his beard reminds me of. There's a picture of like the Grinch talking to this, like a little Whoville person with a big beard and a tiny nose. Yeah. I just totally, as I'm sitting here looking at Dave with the, uh, the light of his television, whatever he's watching flickering across his face. I'm like, God dang it. What's that remind me of? And I just thought about it. So I thought I put (laughs) that. It does kind of look like that, doesn't it? Just a little bit, but in a good way. See, we'll have to post these things so people know what (laughs) we're talking about. So the big twist and i guess it's really not a twist because they showed it in the trailer is that jerry it can sell it can uh, procreate with himself yeah that was- and he he has the uh has a has <laughs> make little- the joke make the joke david <laughs> make the joke david about tube socks or something or <laughs> no about procreating with yourself I do it every night. <laughs> you do it every night. <laughs> There's this. I've been trying for years. <laughs> Your son will be called Haynes. <laughs> and so it came to pass Eric, that to the, that to David's line, the name of Haynes, fruit of the loom, was added. <laughs> Eric, do you remember those family photos years ago when everybody had their family, and the photographer broke it out where like so we're. Before we did the big family photo, they would just put each individual family out there. And because I should, yeah. I don't have anything. You told me to get up there and just when it was my turn, just to hold up a tube sock and smile at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> just to imagine what my dad would have said. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> so Jerry has is pregnant. And um, he has a complications during birth and he dies, which is sad. And um, Dennis Quaid really freaking sells it. He really like sells being sad when Jerry dies, but also, you know, being freaked out, having to raise this little mutant baby, not really mutant. He's a, he's the Drac baby. So he's not really mutant, but he's just a a non-human baby. He has to, uh, has to raise. And I kind of like the little, the little special effects baby they, they had. It was kind of cool practical effects and stuff. But if Dennis Quaid doesn't sell it, it looks fucking ridiculous, but he is really, you know, acting and you believe, believe it, that he's raising as a single dad, this little, this little, um, <laughs> creature. 
and teaching him everything. And it, it makes the movie, you know, if, if the acting isn't good, the movie just falls apart. And Louis Gossett Jr. does a hell of a job. And so does Dennis Quaid. So you actually feel involved in it and you feel like the, you know, I found it compelling and, and emotional, which I, you know, didn't find my, I didn't figure I was going to find it that way again, watching it 27 years later. And I still, <laughs> I still did. You, boy, man, you really brought the energy down right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, did, did you think the acting was good? I thought it was really good. The whole raising baby montage. No, I thought, I thought Quaid did a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know they they did a good job, and it. I when I was, Neil and I were talking about it, texting about it a little earlier, is that I felt that the end of the movie was kind of rushed. Once poor Zombie gets uh, gets abducted by the scavengers, and Davidge gets rescued, it feels like they're trying to cram another movie into the last thirty minutes of the movie. Where they think he's dead and they find him and he, you know, looks like a homeless person. And he comes back, you know, while they're, I do like the sarcastic uh, burial line where they're shooting people off into space that have died in the war. And stomping on the reeds. Yes. Switch for the reeds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was a nice little like sarcastic, weird kind of, uh, you know, part of the movie that felt a little, you know, a little funny, darkly funny out of the, out of the movie. Because the movie itself is pretty sincere i would say and it was kind of cool to see a little little bit of a sarcasm there that's got to be rough as those pilots you know you're out there you're zipping over like oh here come the drax and you look over i'm like is that billy <laughs> just floating in space oh my god that's well even billy. the first shot of the movie is like these pilots dead pilots floating in the air that was really clever though and i forgot i wanted to mention that because you know they're showing the planets and you think it's a planet and then it, it pans out and it's a dead dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And of course the scavengers is led by Breon James. And every time I see him, I go, Oh shit, it's Leon. <laughs> <laughs> and Zamis gets in the way and poor, uh, David gets shot. But I did like the set, like the futuristic set when they got back to, uh, got back to the, uh, human base. I thought it was pretty well done. The human, the human base. Yeah. Because that was their home, their only home, a fortress in space. <laughs> Whereas in any war, there were long periods with nothing to do but wait. Yeah. Cause nobody really, they were in that base for so long. They didn't really, the earth was almost like a, like a legend. Cause they moved. For many of them, earth became a precious memory light years away. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I did like some of the how violent it was when the guy gets shot in the in the neck with the arrow okay you just took one in the in the neck from an arrow and you turn your head and the arrow doesn't move <laughs> yeah it didn't, didn't it didn't move did it come on 12 million dollar budget my ass <laughs> for 12 million bucks you could find some guy that is willing to get his ass shot with a with a arrow in the neck but also when Davidge steals the uh, steals the ship and goes searching for Zamas on the uh, mine planet, whatever, when he's like kicking everybody's ass, he turns into John McClane. All of a sudden he's gunning down everybody and, you know, <laughs> killing people left and right. When that guy falls into the, the machinery 
the little compactor type thing that made me laugh because it looked so it looked awesome and bad at the same time <laughs> when it squashed him. They had a couple of really good deaths um, when the guy gets knocked into the bright red corn syrup and then <laughs> bobs back up looking like a burnt French fry. That was pretty <laughs> yes, cool I like too. That too. Yeah, yeah. There were some nice uh, kills going on, and then so he was on a nice kill kill streak. Davidge was. And he convinces the uh, Drax to rise up to help him and his pilot buddy see the errors of their ways that they are enslaving the Drax on that planet. Well, it it helped that he was the only one who could understand the Earthman speech. Uncle. Uncle. <laughs> if you told me a joke and I was a uh, Drac, like a young Drac, I'd go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good impersonation. <laughs> The whole the whole football scene, um, I have never heard a a a worse explanation of football. At what point <laughs> was what point was zombies going to look at him, Uncle? Makes no sense. Like, <laughs> that, the, that's your defensive line. What the fuck's a defensive line, Uncle? I've only seen two people. I've only seen two people my whole life. <laughs> what do you mean? Yes. You're confusing me, Uncle. I And he's gonna have to have he's gonna have to have uh DSL. He's gonna have uh and not the kind you're thinking about, Dave. It's gonna <laughs> it's gonna have to be it's gonna have to be Drax as a second language. That kid's gonna get nothing but grief when he gets back to Dracon. Yeah. And everyone's <laughs> like, Can you understand this guy's freaking accent? Like what's <laughs> what's going on with him? I like the way that you know uh, Davidge learned the lineage of Jerry's people and how that played a part at the end of the movie, but also, which also felt rushed because they rescue the Drox off the, uh, off the mine planet. And then all you see is just like this matte painting and little figures moving. And he said, he recited the lineage and his name was included as well. The end boom title card. And it was, that was it. <laughs> and so Davich brought Zamis and the Drax home. He fulfilled his vow and recited the line of Zemis forefathers before the Holy Council on Dracon. And when, in the fullness of time, Zemis brought his own child before the Holy Council, the name of Willis Davich was added to the line of Jeriba. We have rushed the last 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Boom, title card. Yeah, it it did feel like they tried to <laughs> jam in another movie in the last, th- last third of the of the, of the movie, but overall I was really impressed how it, it held up. I was expecting it like, Oh man, we're t- watching enemy mine. I wasn't that excited for it because I did have, you know, good memories of it, but it, it was like, man, is this not going to age very well? But I freaking enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. I was, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. I was going to uh, say, David, uh, what, David, what did you think? Yes. <laughs> I liked it, Eric. I did. This was. I'm not mad at you for making making me watch this one. Um, well, that's again, good. I think. I think because this, it was perfect timing because this weekend I started prepping a canvas for a new painting I wanted to do, and I start really start. I'm thinking about art and visual stuff, and so when I watched this movie, um, that's I think what drew me into it. It was really to me for 1985. It was visually stunning. And mm-hmm. I thought it did really good. And you said the canvas painting and all, I liked it. And so yeah, thumbs up. Awesome. Neil. I think we've learned things from this movie. Number one, 
is that if you are a space explorer or anyone in the military that when confronted with an alien life form, let's say with a long, thin appendage that looks like it might be there to do you some harm because you're not a moron and you've fallen into a, a sandy pit that's hard to get out of, you might realize that, oh my gosh, I'm here because there's a predator, that you just randomly stare at it <laughs> and then realize your own odd scale fetishes while you stare at nude aliens getting in and out of the water. And watch them do. <laughs> that would be funny of him. He's got his his uh, his binoculars. He's watching and watch and them Jerry. do. In, watch them do interpretive dance in a thunderstorm. And he's just like jacking it in the rain. Watching. Jesus! Only want to see you bathing in the dracone rain. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> I got a million of these still left one more you tell me what to do you're not the fucking boss of me <laughs> yeah that was it was it was really good I, en- I enjoyed it quite a bit way more than I thought I was going to enjoy it and I just remember picking it up at the video store watching it and then enjoying it I, one of those movies, it's 85, so I think I saw this with my dad. I think watching most sci-fi stuff, I watched with my dad because he was really into sci-fi. So this kind of gave me a nice memory of eating 7-Eleven popcorn and, and M&M's, drinking Coke, and watching a movie. That big tube of 7-Eleven popcorn. Exactly. Right? Like that three-foot-long tube. Mm-hmm. Um I, I did enjoy it. I really liked the first half of it. I liked what they were trying to do with it. Um, of course, after Jeriba Shigan, after he dies, um, then it 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 just moves so fast. Mm-hmm. The narrative was just there, and it it had so much more potential than, than what they were given the chance to do with it. That that last little bit. This would be something that I would love to see as a remake. I agree. Or even a series because you could really, you know, flesh it out. Somebody, that's something that somebody could pick up. Yeah. It's like a, like a, like a limited run. Mm -hmm. And then you could still, is Louis Gossett Jr. Still alive? Yeah. You could have him doing one of the, you could have him doing one of the elder drac, Mm -hmm. but you'd have to find somebody that kind of carries themselves. Cause I don't know. It struck me like Louis Gossett Jr. Doesn't strike me as being like a big dude, but he carries himself with kind of an authority in film. Cause he's yeah, played exactly. some very, he plays some very strong roles. Yeah. Like the drill, the drill instructor and an officer and gentleman, you think about that mayonnaise. <laughs> oh yeah. No, dude, he was so, so good in that. So good in that. And then you think about like that powerhouse role. He was really good in this and like making up all the like trills and stuff. And basically I guess the language of Russian pronounced backwards. And then all of a sudden someone says, you know what, Lou, Lou, you got to, you got to do this movie, Iron Eagle. This would be great. <laughs> yeah. The Golden and Globus people at Canon want you to do this Iron Eagle movie. Sign me up. Oh, I forgot Even about Iron Eagle. couldn't resist the Canon film's money to do Jaws Force. <laughs> <laughs> Can't blame Louis Gossett Jr. for that. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, this movie is like an hour and 41 minutes. And I praised it again for being efficient and not wasting our time. I feel like movies are way too damn long right now. 
And it's so much, so some of the movies are so long, it's deterring me from going into the theaters to see it because of my tiny bladder. I'd rather have the control of the, <laughs> of the uh, you know, stopping the movie and running the bathroom and stuff like that because I don't like to miss the movie. But an hour 41 awesome, almost seemed too short for this. Yeah, it was not enough time to like really flesh it out because they did such a great job of flushing out, you know, the first part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Totally. I did. So there- I, I was, I'm sorry, man, but I was, I'm looking at Lewis Gossett Jr.'s movies and it says that he was in the never ending story. Really? Yeah. I don't remember huh. that. Maybe he added some stuff in there while he was waiting for, <laughs> for enemy mine. Like maybe he kind of did a cameo or something like that. Well, I mean, it couldn't be the first time that uh, the internet was wrong. That's true. I um, included some lists of sci-fi movies that were underrated, but you know we're going on an hour already. So I will tell you my list of unappreciated, underappreciated movies of the '80s, sci-fi movies from the '80s. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, I think, is an underappreciated <laughs> movie. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. We're going to have to do an episode on that soon. I love that movie. Crow, we watched. I know Neil didn't enjoy it as much as I did, but I think that it, it is uh, doesn't get the credit it, it deserves. I still still got the image of that claw after the stuff falling and it just shaking. <laughs> of the glaive, of all the... You know, the, the sh- the shaky, oh no! Or the, oh, you're talking about the uh, the set. Yes, the shaky. set piece. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not glaive; it's glave. Glave. <laughs> Legend of is one of my favorites. I think it's a little little underrated. Uh, we did an episode on that. They live. We've done an episode on that. Life Force. We're going to have to do an episode on naked space vampire movie. Okay, as long as you promise me that while we're filming this, the camera never moves from your shoulders <laughs> up. The last fi- Starfighter. We did an episode on which is oddly our least listened to episode of all the episodes we've done is the last Starfighter, which makes you wonder how this one's going to do. Cause it's an underrated sci-fi movie from the eighties night of the comet, I think is a mixture of horror and sci-fi that uh, is kind of under underseen and the hidden. It's also kind of a horror sci-fi movie, but uh, I think deserves to be seen more. Those are the ones that just kind of came off the top of my head when we we're talking about the uh, underseen sci-fi movies of the eighties. Next week, we are going to hopefully, if everything goes well, do Jason X or Jason 10, Jason in space with the Doc and Dave or Dave and Doc podcast. We are going to have so many Daves here. It's going to be ridiculous. It's about time. Dave. <laughs> it's going to be Dave Apalooza. I'm just going to say, Dave, what do you think? And watch you guys fight for it. <laughs> I'll just say our Dave and your Dave. <laughs> just call me sometimes Dave. I'll just uh, sometimes Dave. Sometimes Dave. I'll remind I'll remind him that I'm sometimes Dave, and I only speak about twenty percent of the time on the podcast, and no one no one remembers it. <laughs> so join us next week for Jason in Space, a movie that knows it's silly. So that's why I appreciate it a little more than the other <laughs> the later other than the other later sci- uh, Friday Thirteenth movies. Cool. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. If you might not want to come back for Jason X. So thanks for being here for this. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the retro video store podcast.